Corinthians chapter 16. Get that in your right hand. We'll start off there. But then the sermon today is going to come from Joshua chapter 3. And as you can tell, we're bypassing our Luke series one more time. Try to give you what I believe the Holy Spirit would have you to hear this morning. 1 Corinthians 16, verse number 15, right at the end of the chapter. And then we'll be in Joshua chapter 3 for the remainder of the sermon. I uh, acknowledged during the announcements that it's quite warm in here. Is, is, is that true? Yes? I, can. I hate to point it out, but I have a fan. So, I could preach all day. <laughs> no, I, I want to be mindful of that, okay? I, I had a preacher friend contact me this past week from uh, Washington. It's a strange phrase that he keeps using. He says, I'm, I'm pregnant with a message for my church. You know, God's given me this information and I'm, I'm pregnant with it. I understand that phrase. I've heard people say, you know, I'm pregnant with purpose and all of that. But I don't know, thinking about having sermon babies is just weird. <laughs> That's just a kind of a weird thought. So forgive me for the awkward terminology, but I, I feel pregnant in that sense that, man, I got something on my heart. And the reason I point that out is because I, I really am tempted to take my watch off and just preach. And I know there are a few of you, you'd be happy for that, but I know for others, it's, it's not necessarily a, a spiritual thing. The, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak, and I understand that. So I'm going to try to be mindful of that, but also... I want to preach to you today uh, on the topic of getting your feet wet. And what I mean by that, you'll see in Joshua 3 what we're getting at. But I want to challenge you today. I want to really challenge you as it pertains to going further in the ministry. And I'm preaching to everybody here. Please do not shut me off because you do not feel called into the full-time ministry. Every believer to whatever extent, is a servant, is a minister. And there's something for you to do, and I want to challenge you with that. So that being said, let's bow our heads and then we'll come to our text. Father, help us this morning. It is warm in here, but Lord, we're more concerned not with this physical hindrance, but with what the Spirit of God is doing. So help us, Father, to put the distractions aside and focus now on what you'd have us to hear. We ask for your presence and your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse number 15, Paul says, I beseech you, brethren, and then he gives a parenthesis. Ye know the house of Stephanus. I like that. He's telling this church, everybody knows Stephanus and his family, right? You know, there are some families in the church, they're just busy doing stuff, and everybody knows them in the church, right? They know them. He says, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia. They were the first ones to get saved in that town, in that region and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They addicted themselves. Talked to a man earlier this week who mentioned how he had struggled with addictions for years. I said, you just need to trade addictions. You need to get saved and get addicted to the ministry. So much so that you can't stop. You know how addictions start? Hey, buddy, psst, try this. All they need you to do is just give it a little taste, a little try. You're hooked, and then you want more and more and more. If I can switch the metaphors, you just need to get your feet wet. There are very few people, rarely do you ever find anyone that doesn't know how to swim, looks at a swimming pool, and says, I want to jump in that. <laughs> if you don't know how to swim, you're going to keep your distance, right? It, you know how it usually starts? And even for some people that know how to swim, right now if you're a professional swimmer, Olympic swimmer, you just dive right in. But, but if you're like me, in, anytime I do a baptism even, I know I'm going to get, the, I'll put one little toe in and then I, you know, just test the water. I want to just make sure that this water is conducive for my presence. If it's too cold, I don't want to get in. Or I'll get in slowly. You know what you need to do? Just get your feet wet. And, 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 you maybe just let your feet dangle in the water until you kind of get used to it, and then you get a little... How many of you, when you get in a pool, you get in slowly? One piece at a time, and you just... It, it, you get to the ankles, and then to the knees, and then you get down to the waist, and then you just slowly lower, and your hands are... And then you put your... It all starts with you getting your feet wet. You got to start somewhere. 
but you got to start. It, it's time, I think, for, and I say you in the yellow sense, it's time for you to get your feet wet. Give it a shot. Give it a shot. Paul says in verse 16, he ends the parentheses, verse 16, that ye submit yourselves unto such and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. So read it without those parentheses. I beseech you, brethren, submit to people like Stephanus. What's he saying? Learn from them. They got addicted to the ministry, now you do it. They got saved, they got involved. So let's come to Joshua chapter 3. Let's talk about getting your feet wet. In Joshua chapter 3, Moses is gone. Joshua is now the leader of the nation. God has told him, be strong and of a good courage. I will be with thee. Amen. Joshua, you're in charge. Verses 1 down to 6, he says, tell the priest to take up the Ark of the Covenant. This was their job. Start marching. And I want you to put a distance of 2,000 cubits between the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant and the rest of the people. That's a whole kilometer, by the way. 2,000 cubits is 1,000 meters. That's a distance. Now, that's another sermon in and of itself, but the priest could feel the tug of God on that ark. They were following the Lord's leadership, and then the people were following them as they marched up towards the Jordan River. And in order to get into the promised land, you have to cross the Jordan River. That lays the scene, verse number 7. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know, I'm sorry, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the ark of the covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, Ye shall stand still in Jordan. This is a private conversation so far. The priest did not hear this. This is between God and Joshua. Now, it's one thing for God to say, Joshua, you're in charge. Moses is gone. You're the leader. But look at the statement at the end of verse 7. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. That is an uncomfortably amazing statement. Can you imagine the pressure if the Lord were to come to you and say, the same way I used Moses, the same way I walked with Moses, that's what I expect of you now. That's how I'm going to use you. That's how I'm going to be with you. I think deep down we want that and we don't want that at the same time. I think we may, might even say, God, I, it's wonderful that you can do such things, but I doubt that you would ever do that with me. But you need to get your feet wet. He could. Joshua has been walking side by side with Moses for 40 years. It may not happen immediately, but if you get started, it could eventually happen. You got to get your feet wet. Joshua's whole life, he's been a fighter. He stood side by side with Moses. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 24, he was the minister of Moses. He just helped. For 40 years, he helped. The first time we read about Joshua, he went out to fight the Amalekites, the battle of Rephidim. And every time he'd look up there, there was Moses holding his hands up. Remember that? And every time the hands were up, he'd win the battle. And when the hands go down, he'd start to lose the battle. And he'd look up there at that, that man, that old man of God, who was 40 years older than him. And he'd say, Moses, all he's doing is praying for me. But I'm winning the battle. And, and he knew, I don't mind being the second man. I'm happy to be involved. He watched all the plagues of Israel. He marched through the Red Sea like all the other Israelites. Man, the stories he could tell. <laughs> the things that he had seen. It's no longer his turn to fight. Now it's his turn to lead. He will do some fighting. He will do some other things. But right now today in Joshua 3, it's his time to lead. God says, I'm going to make a big deal out of you. I want the people of Israel to know that you're a big deal. All right, God, here's my sword. Am I ready to fight? No, no, no. You're just going to give orders. And somebody else is going to get their feet wet. So he says in verse number 9, 
Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither, and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. God's going to get rid of these ites. That's the ultimate goal, to get the people of Israel into the land and all of these ites, they're going to be driven out. And a lot of times when we read the Bible, we, we read about the Canaanites, Hittites, etc., and we think, those are my problems. Those are my enemies, and God is going to drive all my problems out, and that'll be my promised land. That is not consistent with what we should expect in the Christian life. The affairs of this life, the cares of this world, just the problems that come with being alive are never going to go away. God is not going to drive them out. You know what God will drive out? Listen, here are the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, etc. that God wants to drive out of you. A bad attitude. That's your Canaanite. Handling the pressure of life with anxiety instead of faith. That's your Hittite. Making excuses and compromising instead of carrying your cross with steadfastness. That's your parasite. You see what God wants to do. The promised land is when all these ites, it's when all of these fleshly, Adamic, sinful characteristics are driven out and you are conformed to the image of Christ. That's your promised land. That's what we're pressing towards, yes? The mark of the prize of the high calling of God is to become more like Christ. That's what we're, ultimately, that's the goal. But, but watch this, even before you get to that, po- that place, even before all the ites are driven out, God can still use you. He can use you, listen to this, you, not Joshua, you, He can use you to help others get to that ultimate goal, even though you yourself are not there yet. Verse number 11, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you into Jordan. Uh, This is where the Israelites lean in and go, what? The ark of the covenant is like the most important thing we have. And you're going to walk it into the river? Uh, what kind of plan is this? It sounds a bit strange, but that's how God does things. If you just walk on dry land, anybody could do that. God says, I'm going to show you something to remind you that the God that brought your fathers out of Egypt is, is the God now of this generation to bring you into the promised land. Verse number 12, now therefore take you 12 men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe of man. I, I really wanted to work in these 12 men into the sermon, but as I've mentioned, that whole pregnancy thing with the idea, I, I don't want to have two or three sermon babies, I just want to have one. I'm not having triplets today, just, just one. So we'll talk about the 12 men maybe some other time, but you know, it's not the only time that God chose out 12 men to do something. Verse number 13, and it shall come to pass... As soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon and heap. It's going to be a wall of water. You can read down in verse 16, it creates a gap of about 30 kilometers. You know, this is the first time the priest heard that plan. It's the first time. Joshua knew that that's what was going to happen. But now the priest, first time. They're hearing, oh, wait a minute. When we step in, the waters are going to part? Just just so that I keep you engaged, in the New Testament, if you are a believer, you are a spiritual priest. So as we're reading the story, I want you to have that in mind. We are the holy priesthood, the Bible says, offering up spiritual sacrifices to God. That's us. These no-named, unnamed priests, that's you. This is the first time they heard this incredible news. You're going to stand as soon as your feet go in there, the waters are going to part, and hear the priests lean in and say, "Uh, oh, time out, you want us to do what? We're going to do, we didn't vote on this. 
You want us to do what? You see, part of getting into the land of Canaan, someone other than Joshua has to get their feet wet. They say, Joshua, wait, we didn't talk about this. We didn't have a, a board meeting. Did the trustees vote on this plan? Joshua looks at them and says, guys, this is, listen, I, I've been talking with the Lord. This is the plan. And they look back at him and say, well, but what are you going to do? I mean, you're asking us to take this big step of faith and walk into a river. What are you going to do, Joshua? I can imagine these priests saying, don't we remember, Joshua? I think our parents told us this story about how the Red Sea parted. If we remember the story right, Moses took his rod, that rod of God in his hand, and held it up towards the river, or the sea rather, and the sea parted, and it, and it's, it took the whole night for that sea to part. It was a massive body of water, and the Israelites marched through while Moses held the rod of God faithfully, just obedient. They said, our, our mom and dad told us that story. Joshua, why can't we just do that? Why can't you just hold up? Go, 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 go find a rod and hold that up, and let's just do that again. I can imagine Joshua looking back at them and saying, guys, I was there for that. I know that worked, but that's not how God wants us to do it now. It's not my turn. I've had my turn. I've seen God do some amazing things, and I believe God will still use me down the road. But today, your turn. It's your time to get your feet wet. Those priests look at each other and go, okay, listen, we didn't sign up for this. We, we, we don't mind carrying the ark through the desert on dry land, but we didn't sign up. We didn't volunteer. Can I just tell you a little bit about how God calls people to do certain things. You understand there's a difference between the general will of God, right? All of us are called to holiness, right? These general things. There are certain things we should all do, doesn't matter who you are. But then there is the specific will of God where God calls you to do a certain thing. And it, and it may not be the same for everyone. And sometimes that calling comes in your life because you volunteered. There are examples of that in the Bible. I'm not against that. Isaiah, right? He hears from the Lord. He sees the Lord high and lifted up. And he says, here am I, send me. Remember the Lord said, who shall we send? Who will go for us? Here am I, send me. I'm not against volunteers. I wish we had more. There were people that came to Jesus during his earthly ministry and said, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. You know what Jesus said to them? Will you now? The, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. So I'm glad you're excited, but just know this isn't an easy life. But, but the Bible's not against volunteering. You can find a specific calling from God by volunteering for it. But also sometimes God directly calls you. That is, God shows up and tells Abraham, lead your kin in country. God showed up to Moses in the burning bush and said, you're the leader. You'll bring pe the people out of Egypt. God showed up to Jeremiah and said, stand as a prophet. He said, I'm not ready. He said, no, no, you are. I've had this plan for a while. I know, you're ready, go. So sometimes God directly calls a man. But listen to this, there's a third thing. And by the way, I have had all three of these callings happen in my life. I've volunteered. I've had God directly speak to me in prayer and in my Bible. I, I've seen it. But there's an indirect calling. And that is where God uses one man to call another man. Indirect callings. Listen carefully. Moses prayed for a replacement. He knew he was going to die. And his first thing when God said, you're going to die, he said, but what about the people? Who's going to lead the people? God, please raise up a man. And God told him, take thee, Joshua, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay thine hand upon him. He said, ordain him into the ministry. You know how Joshua knew he was called to lead the people? Moses. God did later confirm it, but Moses told Joshua, come here, you're in the ministry now. <laughs> that was his calling. Elijah, he was down and out there at Mount Horeb. And he said, God, I, I alone, I'm the only one left serving you. And God said, no, you're not. 
take your mantle, go find Elisha. Remember the story? And he goes to Elisha. What's Elisha doing? Plowing the field with oxen. He's not in a Bible school anywhere. Elijah the prophet takes his mantle and throws it over Elisha's shoulders and says, buddy, you're in the ministry. Go, go home, say goodbye to mom and dad because your life will never be the same. Paul got saved and he's blinded. And God went to Ananias and said, Ananias, you go tell Paul what my will is. Indirect. Indirect. Did you know this? That after Paul got saved, he went down to Jerusalem. Things didn't go well. He went back to Tarsus where he was from. He was there anywhere from 10 to 14 years. Listen. Listen. 10 to 14 years. He was not the leader of the church. We don't even know what he was doing. All we know is he was faithfully serving in that area. That's all we know. We haven't even had a church here yet for 14 years. Paul was waiting around. He knew the will of God for me is to go preach the gospel to Gentiles and kings. He knew that. And he was just waiting, getting his feet wet. Until one day, you know what happened? Barnabas showed up. Barnabas went to the Antiochian church and said things are going really well, came back to Paul and said, hey, Paul, he found him in Tarsus and said, hey, come with me. I think you could be a, a blessing here in Antioch. And Paul got into the ministry because of Barnabas. Indirect. You know what happened a little bit after that? Acts chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas and some other men, they were faithfully serving in the Antiochian church. And the Holy Ghost told the elders of that church, separate me Barnabas and Saul unto the work whereunto I have called them. And those church elders prayed and fasted and laid hands on and sent those men out. That calling came from God through the elders down to Barnabas and Saul. You know what Paul wrote to Timothy? He said, I have besought thee, son Timothy, to abide at Ephesus. Paul told Timothy where to go. He told Titus, I have left thee at Crete. I left you there. Now listen, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit didn't guide Paul in those cases. I'm not saying that God didn't tell Timothy and Titus anything about it. I'm saying God used a man to tell another man to get involved. Jesus walked about this earth saying, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. I'll make you a fisher of men. They did not know he was God at that moment. They knew he was the Messiah. They believed that. But somebody came to them and said, follow me. Get your feet wet. When I was a young man in Bible school, I believed God wanted me to go to India as a missionary. I prayed about that for two and a half, three years almost. And at one night, I, one night I went to Brother Donovan, who was the assistant pastor. Now he's the pastor of that church. And I said, Brother Donovan, I believe God wants me to go to India a few months before that, Brother Donovan had gone to Malawi on a two-week trip. When I approached him, I said, I think God wants me to go to India. What do you think? Any advice? He said, Brother Flick, are you sure India? Well, I was until he said that. <laughs> right then, Brother Farnham, whom we support, walked by. That's his brother-in-law. And he said, well, if you want to know about India, talk to him. He said, but um, I'd pray about that. I said, okay. I believe that God can use my pastor to give me guidance. I've believed that since I got saved. You know why? It's not because I, I think that man is an extraordinary man. The Bible says that God ordains that man to do that job. That he watches for my soul. I wouldn't sit in his church if I didn't think he took that role seriously. I would find a church where there is a pastor that takes that role seriously. I don't think he's the final authority. I don't think he always has it right. He doesn't have all the answers, but God will use that man to help me know where to get my feet wet. The whole next day I prayed while I was at work painting. I was painting a, high up on a ladder. I was close to God, and I was painting... <laughs> And I was saying, God, please give me direction. I don't know what he meant by that. When I go to his office tonight, because we had Bible school class that night, I'm going to go to his office. Please put something in his mouth that will point me in the right direction. After class that night, 10 o'clock at night, knocked on his office door. I said, Brother Donovan, can I ask you a quick question? Yesterday, 
when I said about India, you said, are you sure? Why did you say that? He said, Brother Mike, ever since I got back, back from Malawi, I've been praying that God would send somebody there as a permanent missionary, you know, to live there. And every time I pray about it, God's been putting you on my heart. And I said, man, that's some pretty clear guidance. And I said, Brother, how can I be sure about the will of God? He said, open your Bible to Esther 1.1. I said, okay. And there's a verse that talks about the kingdom of Artaxerxes that stretches from, Eth from India unto Ethiopia. The word Africa is not in the Bible, but Ethiopia is in Africa. So it said India unto... And I looked at that, I said, oh my. And Brother Donovan looked up, he said, well, there you go. <laughs> God gave me a pastor to guide me. Put something in his mouth, Lord. And the Lord did. Lest any of you are nervous about this, going, oh boy, I hope the pastor doesn't come to me after the service and say, hey, don't worry. Listen, there's, if you're terrified by that, there's a good chance God's not calling you to take any further steps. But some of you, many of you are excited by that because you have been praying and you would like to know. And it would be thrilling for God to organize it, to send somebody to you to say, we got more for you to do. I want to show you a few things real quick. Chapter 3, about getting your feet wet. Listen, the requirements are minimal. They're minimal. We're, we're just talking about taking that next step, making an effort in the ministry. Minimal requirements, but very important. So a few things you need to know. Number one, there needs to be faithful obedience. Let me explain. Verse number six. Joshua spake unto the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass over before the people. And what they do? And they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. They did what they were told. They had been doing this for 40 years. Ever since the ark was built and they had been marching in the wilderness, it was the job of the priest to carry the... Listen, I hear this all the time about, I don't serve the things of God, I serve the God of the things. God made things. Let, let, let's stop separating the two. God told them, build the ark of the covenant and carry it around. So that thing of God was important. And the priest, every time the pillar of fire or pillar of cloud moved, the priest had to pick up that ark and march and follow God's guidance everywhere. And they did that for 40 years. God is looking down for men, for women, who will be faithful in the small things, in their daily duties, what they are called to do, that take the things of God seriously and say, I don't care if everybody notices, even if I'm not in the mood to do it. Sometimes that ark can get heavy. I'm going to do it. And if this is all I ever get to do for God, I'm going to do it. And I'll march 40 years if that's all I get to do. And one day, if you're faithful about obeying those things, God might... He might just say, time for you to get your feet wet. I can, I can use a man like you. So they were faithful. Then verse number 14, it came to pass when the people removed from their tents. Now the priests have heard this amazing news. You're going to stand in Jordan. The water's going to part. It came to pass when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan and the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. You know what they did? As they have done for 40 years. They went over to that ark. Can you, you can just see the priests talking to each other going, well, we've never had a day like this. Here we go. This will be a new one. Do you got your Crocs on? <laughs> About to get our feet wet. <laughs> this will be a new one. Get our water socks on. Here we go. You know what they're doing? What they've done for 40 years. And as they approach that water, Verse number 15, as, as they that bear the ark were coming to Jordan and the feet of the priest that bear the ark were what? Dipped. They got to that water and they said, mm, boy, let's see here. Bing. Uh, bing. They're wanting to see if the water's going to move, right? That's what I would do. 
<laughs> I'd be checking that water out. As soon as they stuck their toes in the water and felt the, the River Jordan starting to move, they would have immediately known all we need to do is obey. I didn't need to go to any special class to train my foot for any water parting special <laughs> tricks. All I had to do was exactly what God told me to do. Stick my foot in the water. I just had to get my feet wet. God did the rest. All I had to do was faithfully obey and that wasn't an issue for them because they'd been doing it for 40 years already. You know what they did not do? When they got in that water, they did not say, you know, there's a better way to do this. Hey, uh, can, can one of you bring me a chair? They didn't compromise. They didn't say, hey, let's build a scaffold and put the ark on the scaffold because otherwise we're going to have to stand here all day holding the ark while everybody marches across. They didn't compromise. They didn't cheat the system. They just said God told us to stand here with the ark and we're gonna, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do it exactly... We're not going to try to make this any, anything else than what God wants it to be. Just simple, faithful obedience. If you have not been faithful with the general will of God, that's where you start. You want to get your feet wet? Start with those simple things. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. Number two. It was faithful obedience. Number two, you need to take a firm stand. Take a firm stand. Verse 15. It says the priests that bear the ark, were, the, the feet there were dipped in the brim of the water. The brim of the water, just the edge. Now watch the parentheses. For Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest. This was the worst time of the year to cross the River Jordan. You couldn't have picked a worse time. Instead of the waters receding and being low, Jordan is overflowing its banks. God is not going to wait for all the details of your life to fall in line before He calls you to do something. You need to know this about getting your feet wet. Just because you get your feet wet does not mean life becomes comfortable, convenient, and easy. Getting your feet wet might just complicate your life, but in a good way. It, it might add to your life, but things you want added, responsibilities, duties, pressure that you need, that you want, that will be eternally worth it. A lot of people will not get their feet wet because they're afraid of the sacrifice that comes with it. Yes, you are going to have to give something up. And yes, even in the midst of a difficult time, God, you could not be calling me at a worse time. Things at work aren't good. Things at home aren't good. I need all these things to come right. Then I'll do it. If you're going to negotiate with God, you know what he'll do? Just find the next guy. He'll find somebody else that will get their feet wet. Say, so listen, okay, this isn't a good time and it's a little bit scary, but God told me to do it. I'll take a stand. I'll take a firm stand, even if I do have to sacrifice something. Here we have Haman, who's going to wipe out all the Jews. Mordecai hears about it and he runs to his niece, sends news to Esther. Esther, God has brought you to the kingdom for such a time as this. You know what Esther's response was? But wait a minute. If I approach the king without the golden scepter being held out to me, I could die. That's not comfortable. That's not convenient. That's not easy. And Mordecai's response is, yes, but if you don't, we're all going to die. God has put you in this position, Esther, for such a time as this. It is your time, Esther. It is your turn. It is your turn to get your feet wet. Don't look around and go, God, call somebody else. That's what Moses tried to do when God called him. He said, call somebody else. And the Bible says in Exodus 4, the Lord was angry with him. He said, fine, I'll get, I'll get Aaron involved. But Aaron's the one who ended up making that golden calf. He said, now you see what you did by making me call the second stringer? I've called you. Stop waiting for things to get easy. Esther had the great response, ladies. You talk about getting your feet wet. You know what she said? Okay. 
I'll go do it. And if I perish, I perish. If this causes my life to go upside down, Jesus is worth it. I'll get my feet wet. I'll get my feet wet. Whenever I was praying about going to India, I went to Christina and told her, I believe God wants us to do this and this and this. I was so glad for her honesty. She said, honey, I don't want to go to India. (laughs) But if God tells you to go, I'll go. See there? Firm stand. She had taken the stand that if God wants us to go to an uncomfortable place, I'll go. When I got back from Malawi, I never wanted to come back to this continent. I never wanted to think about this continent again. I spent three weeks in Malawi, and it was the worst three weeks of my life. I came back and told my wife all about it. The first thing out of her mouth, after two hours of me griping about my trip, she said, she kissed me on the forehead and said, honey, I'm so sorry, but as soon as you're ready to go back, I'm ready. Firm stand. Firm stand at a difficult moment. God's not waiting for everything in your life to get convenient. He's waiting for you to get your feet wet. Look at verse 17. We'll we'll come back to 16 momentarily. Well, let's, let's just read through it. Verse 16, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap very far from the city of Adam, that is beside Zaratan. And those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed and were cut off. And the people passed over, uh, passed right over against Jericho. So the people are passing over now. Like I said, 30-kilometer gap. Verse number 17. And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood what? Stood what? Firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan. They stood firm. What's my second point? Firm stand. If I'm one of those priests, and I've just heard from Joshua, not from God, from Joshua, that I have to walk with the ark into the Jordan River and it's overflowing, you know what I'm thinking? As soon as the water parts, fine, but then the ground's going to be muddy. He said the water would part. He didn't say he would dry the ground. So God, if, if I get in there, I might slip. I might sink. You know why a lot of people don't get their feet wet? Because they're afraid of what will happen after they get their feet wet. What if I try and I fail? What if I start down that path and it doesn't work out? The devil will get you stuck thinking about the what ifs. And when Jesus shows up, you'll still be on the bank of the Jordan going, but but what if it doesn't work? What if it does? You know where you're going to find the strength you need to stand firm in God's calling? It's waiting for you in the Jordan River. It's waiting for you to dip your foot in, and then God, after you've taken that step of faith, will dry the ground under you, and then your faith will be established, and you'll say, this is exactly where God wants me to be. You let God take care of the dry ground. He knows how to sustain you if you'll be obedient They literally had to stand their ground. I think that would have been a legitimate concern. They could have turned to Joshua. What if the ground is muddy? God will work it out. You know, it's a lot of pressure on Joshua to tell somebody else to go take that chance. Can you think of this? When the Antiochian leaders laid hands on Paul and Barnabas and sent them out, they were out for several months. You know what happened? Paul died. Listen. Paul died. He got stoned to death. News comes back to Antioch. If I'm one of those Antiochian church elders, you know what I'm thinking? Boy, I hope we had that right. I hope we we heard the Lord right on that. Whenever we get news from our distant land, from Fricky and Fricalina, and I hear what they're going through, and I think, what, what if we hear one day that they're in a prison somewhere? I hope we got that right. And yes, that might happen. What do we do about it? We stand firm. And we pray like David said, and thou hast enlarged my steps under me that my feet did not slip. God, we're just going to keep being obedient and stand our ground. And one last thing I want to point out to you. If you're going to get your feet wet, don't bother if you're not going to do it for others. These priests 
did not go down into the water just to be impressive. Go, look at me. Look at me stopping Jordan. Look at this. Take pictures, post it on Instagram. Look at this. It wasn't that. They were doing that because by stepping into the water, look at the end of verse 17, and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over. Faithful obedience, firm stand for others. If you're going to get your feet wet, it's not for you. You're doing it. Watch how simple this is. There are people that are on this side of Jordan. They need to get to that side of Jordan. There are people a little farther away from where God wants them to be. And in order for God to get point a, the people from point A to point B, He's going to use you to sim- simply by obedience and a firm stand right there in the Jordan, and I will, st- I will be here, I'll stand firm, I'll be faithful until you get from where you are until where, uh, until where you need to be. I want to help you get closer to where God wants you to be. That's what we mean when we say get your feet wet. You don't necessarily have to become a missionary or a pastor, etc., etc., just helping somebody else to get where they are now a little closer to Christ. You can do that by simply taking a gospel tract to somebody you know and saying, I'd love to talk to you about the Lord. By taking an invitation for our church and just saying, would you like to come to church with me this Sunday? There are so many ways you can reach out and help that person to get from here to there. If you're not going to do it for others, then don't bother even stepping in. Years ago, my dad taught me as I was growing up to have good manners. We might have a sermon on that one day. Say please and thank you. Yes, sir. No, sir. Ja, manier. Nia, I mean, those kind of things. I don't, I, I don't even hear that. Now, maybe it's because my Afrikaans is by a slach mar. I don't even hear that these days. Maybe it's still around. Good manners. You know what one thing was? When somebody else is coming through a door, hold the door open for them. Hold the door open. I mean, that's a small thing, but I'm helping you get from here to there. Why? It's not like I'm going to pick you up and carry you over the threshold. You're not my wife, and it's not our our marriage day, right? So it's like, oh, here, here. All I'm going to do is open the door and help you in a small way get from here to there, even if it's just removing an obstacle. One day, I was, I was about seven, I think, or maybe eight, I held the door open for an older man, probably in his 60s. He walked through that door, he walked a few steps, and he turned around and took a pen out of his pocket. He said, young man, come here. I said, yes, sir. He handed me that pen. He said, I've never seen a young man hold a door for an older man without his dad telling him to. Because my, my dad was in, in a, a different room of the building. He said, I really appreciate that. And he gave me that pen. I've never forgotten that. I got a prize because all I did was hold a door and somebody thanked me for it. You know, as the Israelites passed through the Red Sea, there's Moses with the rod. You know what they did? I'm almost sure of it. As they're entering into the Red Sea channel there and coming across, they probably tipped the hat to Moses. Wouldn't you? There he is holding the rod all night long. Thank you, Moses. Appreciate it. Sterte wer. Right? You are going to acknowledge that that guy, God used him to help me get from this side of the sea to that side. Without his contribution, I wouldn't have made it. As these Israelites passed over Jordan, they're tipping the hat now to these priests, these unnamed priests. Going, appreciate it, brother. Thank you for helping us out. Thank you for being there when we needed you most. Thank you for standing when it was most difficult to stand. Thank you for not quitting. Because of you, I am a little bit closer to where God needs me to be. One day in heaven, is anybody going to tip their hat to you? Will anybody up in heaven say, appreciate what you did for me? Without you, I don't know if I would have gotten from here to there. You played a big part in my life. The joy of that moment you'll never have if you don't get your feet wet.
You've got to try. You say, but I don't know how to do that much. Let God do the doing. You just put your feet in. Get involved. Try. Do something. Say, I'm not a missionary. I'm not a pastor. Maybe you should pray about that. Maybe you're not because you just haven't asked God about it. You want to chat about it? Come let me know. We can have a chat about it. I'll be honest with you. I've told people before, not you. <laughs> not now. It's okay. At least you asked. At least you asked. But listen, you don't have to be a missionary or a pastor. You don't have to go to Bible school, although I would recommend it. Why not? Why shouldn't you? I'd love to hear the reason why you shouldn't. <laughs> go ahead, try. Stick your foot, dip your toe in that water. See what happens. You know what you could do? When I was in Malawi, I hit a real low point. A real, really low point. There was another missionary there, not of our persuasion, but a good man. You know what he did? He said, Mike, it looks like you're going through a tough time. You want to talk about it? I said, no, not really. He said, well, I'll listen anytime you want. I said, all right. He's about 20 years older than me. I do not remember one piece of advice he ever gave me. Like, like I said, we, we weren't of the same persuasion, so there really wasn't a lot of truth coming from that side, but he did care. He did love me. You know what he did? He listened to get me from here to there. By me being able to go to him and just pour out my heart and him saying, brother, I'm praying for you. I love you. I'm here for you. Keep, keep on. Stick with it. Stand your ground. That got me from here to there. You could do that. Be that person for someone else. If you're not going to do it for others, don't get in the water. How do you get addicted to the ministry? Psst, buddy, come here, try this. It'll change your life. And once you start, listen, once you get in the water, right? You dip, you dive, you don't want to come out. On this hot, pachastruum day, you get in the water, you don't want to come out. <laughs> I'm talking about get your feet wet, and you'll never be the same. Let's all stand, if you would. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Let's have the pianist come and play something softly, if you would, please. Joshua had plenty of opportunities to do some great things for God. But it's not, th this story is not about Joshua. Joshua had to step back and let somebody else do it. He had to let somebody else run with it. You know Joshua was about 80 years old at this point? 80. That's how old Moses was when he got started in the ministry. Brother, sister, I don't care how old you are, what stage of life you're in, young kids, older kids, grandkids, doesn't matter. There are people that need to get from here to there, a little closer to God, and they need you to get your feet wet. Some have come. And if I might say as your pastor, I look around and I think there's, there should be about a dozen more people up here. At least. Now if you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart, just like those priests had to be mindful when they felt the Spirit move that ark one way or the other, they, they just went that way. Now if you feel the Holy Spirit moving in your heart, you need to act on that. come and say God I'll take that stand I'll seek the advice I'll knock on that door see if you open it but I want to get my feet wet I don't want to go to heaven with dry feet say I've never been to the altar it's not my thing well try it
get your feet wet. You don't like it because you never tried it. God might be waiting for you up here. Say, I'm too young, you know, I'm, I'm just a teenager. And God calls teenagers. give these folks a moment or two to pray I don't want to rush the Holy Spirit give you a chance to get your feet fully in it, it may take 10 years it may take 14 years before God fully puts you into whatever ministry he desires that was Paul's story maybe it's yours Maybe today you decide to get your feet wet, start passing out tracts, witnessing to people, praying for them to get saved. And maybe 15 years from now, you're the pastor. You're starting a church somewhere else in South Africa that needs it. And we need it. Or maybe there's something right here in Potch, right here in this local church. He just needs you to get your feet wet more you could do in the midst of a hectic busy life the banks overflowing Jordan is swelling and still God calls you to get your feet wet I'm gonna give you a few more moments and I'm giving a few moments to the people up here praying, but also a few moments for some of you men out there that should be up here. That's the old saying, better late than never. You just make a turn up here by the altar. Say, God, uh, here I am. I'm trying. I'm not sure where this is going to go, but here I am. Father, I thank you for speaking to our hearts this morning. Lord, I thank you how you've worked this morning, and I believe that you have. Lord, I know, I know there are so many folks in this church that truly want to be used. And they are seeking your will. They do want to know. Bless their efforts. Once they get their feet in the water, Lord, let them, let them see that they're making a difference. Lord, help me as their pastor. Lord, you want me to watch for their souls. Oh, God, I need your help. I need your help. And together, Lord, we want to put a smile on your face and help people get closer to you. Father, continue to work in our hearts throughout this warm afternoon. Bless the remainder of this Lord's day that we get to spend with each other and with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.